why don't we just build something together? All right, let's see how it goes. So I'm going to kick us off with my goal, which is I'm appearing as a guest on a podcast. Um, I want an app that I can have open while I'm on the show to help me keep track of time and remember what I want to say. Okay, so we got this code. I'm not going to read it. I just copy paste and go. I'm just pasting from ChatGPT. This should update live this little window here. Oh my God. Look at that. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's good to be back. Yeah, good to have you. I interviewed you, I think, like two or three years ago on Super Organizers. That interview went really, really well. And uh, I just think you're one of the deepest thinkers about this stuff. And in the pre-production call, I was just saying, like, I, I think generative AI just sort of like... It just takes the things that you've been thinking about to a new level. And I'm just really excited to check in with you. Yes, a lot has changed over the past couple of years, indeed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And for folks that are, you know, are not familiar with your work, you are a researcher at Ink and Switch, which is an independent research lab, and you explore what you call malleable software, which are computing environments where anyone can mold their own tools to their needs. Can you talk to us about what malleable software is and why that's important? Yeah, absolutely. So this has been a quest that I've been on for at least the last five years now. And it all started, um, I was working at a startup and we were making SaaS software for schools. And um, I just started getting really bummed that we kept saying no to every single request that came our way from some teacher in a classroom. And they would say, you know, can, can you change this word because it doesn't match the way I teach? Or can you add this little button for me that would do X? And we would say, no, we, you know, we're, we're not going to add that button just for you. And that's such a normal way of thinking about software for, for people used to SaaS. Um, but it felt really strange to me. And so I, I started wondering, what if we had a world where everybody could craft software tools that match the workflows they want to have unique to themselves and not just using these uh, pre-made tools? That's, that's what malleable software means to me, is that we can all have the software that works for us, not for some product manager off in San Francisco. And... The really interesting thing that's happened the past couple of years is that um, until you know recently, programming was a huge bottleneck in this space. You need to do a lot of programming to make any sort of software. And the big question was, how can we sort of route around programming to give people tools to make software without doing that? And what really excites me about generative AI is that, um, oh my gosh, we now have a thing that can kind of sometimes turn fuzzy ideas into code. And so that's starting to cut um, almost like a shortcut through that uh, impassable mountain. And I think it's uh, it's a really exciting time to be exploring how can we apply that base technology to help everybody make and edit the software that they want to have. Right. I love that. It's, a, it's an idea I've been thinking about as well. You're, you're obviously far deeper than I am, but I wrote this article um, called What Comes After SaaS, uh, I don't know, probably like six months ago. Um, uh, and and the short answer is like bespoke apps customized by AI, and um, I, I think for for people who are who are thinking who are, who are sort of newer to this, one one way to think about it, and I'm curious what you think of this metaphor is like the difference between right now a lot of the software that you use, it's sort of like you know when you use Spotify or um, Gmail or whatever, it's sort of like staying at a hotel where the the company like you everyone gets the same hotel room. 
Um, and you know, the company is running the hotel and when you sign up for, for Gmail or whatever, you get your little Gmail hotel room and it's got all the same things as everybody else. And there's like some ways that you can customize it. Like obviously like you put your luggage in the hotel room, like, so there's certain things that are, that are yours, but everything is like basically the same, the same basic model. Um, and, and over time, like companies get, especially SaaS companies get good at like adding little customizations or whatever, but it's always on their terms. It's always on their guardrails. And I think your vision of software is a little bit less like these like infinitely large hotel rooms that, that are, that, that people are staying in and more like, um, everyone owning their own home or something like that. And, and either having power tools and the ability to use them, or maybe like having their own general contractor on staff that they can, they can deploy to like make any change they want. Right. Yeah. I love that analogy. I think, um, it's a really good one too, because it's subtle in that sometimes hotels are fine. Um, and there's a whole spectrum from renting a hotel room to renting an apartment to buying a house that someone else built. There are people also who build their own home from scratch and design it all, right? And there's a whole spectrum there. And it's okay to, I think, at different times be on different points. What I think is really pernicious about the hotel idea, though, is like, imagine we all lived in hotel rooms all the time. You would probably stop thinking about questions like, oh, like, what would be a better layout? You don't, I don't, when I walk into a hotel room, I don't start thinking about moving the walls around or changing the decorations because it's not a thing that I obviously am allowed to do. And so um, those questions don't occur to me. And that's what I worry about with software is um, the worst case outcome is that we all use SaaS tools that subtly affect the way we think. And we don't even uh, realize it because we're just so used to living in those tools. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to Linus Lee on this show and he was talking about something similar, which is, um, the idea of agency and how our tools shape the agency that we have. Um, and, and thinking about ways to give users more agency in the context of general AI, um, where I think, you know, in large part for now, there's, there's maybe a little bit less agency in something like using mid journey than you might get in something like using Photoshop. Um, because you can like literally, uh, with Midjourney you can prompt it, but in Photoshop you can literally change the pixels, um, and and so figuring out ways to give people finer grained control uh, is like a really interesting challenge in generative AI. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, I think one really important point here is that there's a lot of different dimensions of how people gain agency, and some of them are things surrounding the AI and are not core to the AI itself. So one one. Uh, example following on with the hotel analogy, right? As you said, you know, maybe everybody has a general contracting team that they can bring to their hotel room. If you show up at a hotel with a construction crew, they're not going to let you, you know, tear down the, your room yeah. and rebuild it, right? <laughs> There's like a, a sort of social agreement or legal framework or whatever around um, your contract with that entity where it's not really like your ability to move walls physically that is the constraint. And so um, to bring that back to software, what I think about a lot is, um, if I had a personal team of a hundred developers that were working for me, I, what could I do with that power? And, um, you know, let's say I'm using Spotify and I'm like, Oh, I hate the way that Spotify shows me these playlists. I wish that it showed me them a different way. Um, I don't, I can't edit the Spotify app. I don't have control over that. Um, and so, um, what I'm thinking about a lot these days is how can we reorient the way software is distributed and constructed so that my, 
so to speak, personal uh, dev team can actually do useful stuff for me. Um, can, you know, and, and for example, right, maybe they could make browser extensions for me, or maybe they could, if my software is open source and I control it, maybe they could start adding features for me. Um, how can we uh, change the foundations of software in a way that is best positioned to take advantage of the fact that everybody is going to have uh, this power available to them in the coming years? Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And it's it just making me think of, I, I teach this course called How to Build an AI Chatbot. Um, and one of the really incredible things about this course is we take people from not really being able to code to shipping an app in 30 days. And cool. um, it's really it's really cool because I feel like there are all these people out there who are just waking up to the idea that they have these like magical powers um, where like they can literally now build stuff in a way that they couldn't before. And a lot of these people are like, okay, it's like there, it's a product manager who you work with engineers and you've like, maybe you took one, uh, one coding class in college, but you've never like felt confident enough to like actually go build and ship a react app or whatever. And what all they really need is like a little push to be like, okay, just use ChatGPT, like ask it what to do. Here's some sample code and like go and it it really it really changes things for people where um one is on day one they can have a working chatbot like with a couple prompts and that's like a big holy shit i cannot believe that i can i can actually make something and then what it does is it motivates them to try to learn the underlying fundamentals in this way that's like very connected to practice as opposed to the way that you used to have to learn programming, which is like you spend six months like learning about loops and if statements and like all this stuff. And you're like, I don't have, I don't, I have no idea how this connects to like the things I want to make. And so I just think that there's this like, there's this really um, quickly expanding horizon of who gets to make things in, in the world. Um, and there are a lot of people who are within the horizon of being able to make stuff that don't know it yet, but like all they literally have to do is sit down with ChatGPT, and that horizon is going to be like significantly larger in five years. And I think that's, that's one of the things that you're, you're working on. And I think it's so exciting. I love that way of thinking about it. You know, for me, the way that I learn best has always been to make first and then figure out what I'm doing second. Um, and I think people, people often end up in these dumb debates that are like, you know, people should be able to make stuff without learning the fundamentals. And then other people are like, it's really important to learn the fundamentals. And my take is, yes, it's important. If you want to go really far, at some point, you're going to have to dig deep and actually learn what you're doing. And that's going to propel you. But that shouldn't be a barrier to you doing anything. And so in my career, you know, I got started in web development, just like throwing together Rails apps. And I didn't really know how to program. I didn't know Ruby. Um, I was just sort of copy pasting and messing around. And I fought through the pain just because I wanted to make and share stuff. And I think you're you're exactly right that um, the flip that I see when people start using ChatGPT is all of these frustrating moments that before... Um, took incredible dedication to fight through because they were so frustrating. And, and programming is full of these, absolutely full of these things. Uh, a single, you're missing a semicolon and it takes you three hours to realize that that's why your thing wasn't working. That's so demoralizing. And um, people who don't have access to a, a friend or tutor who can help with them with that, there's just a huge drop-off chance, I think, at that point. And when I'm using ChatGPT, even now, I'm a, I'm a skilled programmer, but there's, I'm often working in areas that I don't know as well. Um, having ChatGPT with me just feels like um, the default flips to I have flow, I have momentum, and I have this, this sort of support that's going to make sure everything uh, goes okay. And I, 
I'm just less worried about getting stuck. And I think that that feeling is really qualitatively different. And I agree when people realize that it's a, it's a really exciting flip for them. Yeah, it really is. So I think that that sort of brings us to, you know, the, the main, the main thing that we wanted to do today, which is, um, you know, Oh, and a lot, uh, and, and most of these episodes, what we're doing is um, we're going through historical chats, and then and then you know we both kind of interact with ChatGPT, and we and we explore th- something and find things that we we never would have found before. And what you suggested, which I think is brilliant, is like, why don't we just build something together? Why don't we build an app? And I think in the process of building an app, one is people will be able to get just a little bit of an idea of what you mean by malleable software, what this future of like being able to modify things is going to look like. And then two is they're going to be able to see what are the specific ways that you're using ChatGPT to achieve these results um, in a in a just a very very detailed way, and we'll try to make it so that if you're a programmer, you can get you can get a lot out of it, and if you're not a programmer, you'll be able to understand what's going on, and you'll be able to see like get a little bit of a taste of like what would it be like to push myself in this way a little bit and try to build stuff, uh, and I think it'll be really cool. Yeah, I'm excited to try it out. And maybe just as a preamble, I can talk a bit about how I think about um, this this task that we're going to do, right? So um, what I've been trying to do in my work is um, sometimes there'll be a, a brief moment when I'm in the middle of something and I have this thought that's like, oh, I wish I just had a software tool that did X. And um, again, this is getting out of the hotel mindset. And I've been trying to notice those moments and, and think, wait, like, could I actually make that? And um, before maybe that would have taken a day. So the answer is like, no, not worth it. But now if the answer is like five minutes, maybe. Right. And so I've been trying to notice those moments and, um, I've come up with a workflow, um, that's very, very simple and crude, but has worked for me a few times for making, uh, these sort of quick apps that help me with stuff. Um, one small example of one that I built before, um, is I was prepping for a trip to Japan. And I, I actually grew up in Japan and I speak um, somewhat fluent Japanese, um, but I have some sort of pockets of missing uh, skill, particularly in more formal communication. And I was on these text message threads with um, some of my mom's acquaintances who I don't know as well. I mean, I needed to sort of text them in a way that was correct to the, the context. And I was just struggling. And I was I was doing all these chat GPT chats um, to try to help me with the translation, and it was really helpful. Um, but I kept hitting these really annoying chat situations where I would be like, that sounds too formal. Make it sound a little more casual. Oh, like that sounds too casual. Make it sound a little more formal. And so what I did in the end is I made this, this UI tool that um, you can do a translation, and then there's a little slider to, uh, to adjust how formal the translation should be. I love that. And that was just way more, way easier, way more fun. Uh, and uh, it sort of uh, encapsulated a lot of the wisdom of the system prompt I had been iterating on in a nice GUI tool that I could then just whip open whenever I wanted. And so that's sort of what I mean when I talk about these little uh, helpful software tools that I wish existed just for me, right? And so that's, that's I think, the kind of thing that would be fun to try to, to build together. Okay, cool. Well, let's find it. Let's find a tool to make. Like, I know you have some ideas. I've got some ideas. Why don't you start and we'll just kind of go back and forth until we find something we like. Yeah, so... Um, one idea I had was I'm a guest on your podcast right now. And so what's like a utility that I would want to have while I'm a guest on your podcast. Um, and you know, I could imagine like, um, maybe there's like a time, uh, bar that kind of shows me like, how are we doing on time? And so I have an ambient awareness of pacing sort of like, um, you can imagine it's like keynote presenter mode, but specialized to being a guest on your show. Maybe there's a checklist of like topics we want to, I want to make sure I hit with you and I can check them off. So I have like this aid. Um, I don't know if there's stuff maybe as a host, do you have ideas for what you might want? 
Yeah, let's ideate a little bit because I think you're you're onto something. Like this podcast is sort of unique in that ChatGPT is its own, like it's a it's a guest in in, cer- in certain ways, or it's it's a it's a part of it. And I'm I'd really love to bring it in even more. Where like, <clears throat> for example, one thing that I think would be really useful. I often find myself like wishing that we had a live transcription that could then get easily fed into ChatGPT and have ChatGPT like respond to what's being said. Um, and um, I don't know if you feel like equipped to do that or if that would take too long, but something like that would be like really helpful because I'm often sort of like, as we're talking, I'm often like writing stuff into ChatGPT and then being like, this is what they said, like, what do you think basically? And if, if there was an easier way to do that, um, that would be really helpful. I think like one of the constraints is I I would, it would work if it was its own interface. It would be even better if it was inside of ChatGPT somehow. I don't, that's probably going to be like really hard to do, but like um, just, just sort of thinking like um, the, maybe the, the, the minimal thing is like real time transcription. That's like really easy to either get into ChatGPT or to, um, just have just have GPT like give some like sample questions or some thoughts like in real time as things are happening that um, could help push us in new and interesting directions. Okay, so two thoughts. First of all, at a meta level, we should get ChatGPT in on this brainstorming session in a second because <laughs> let's do it. Uh, one really important <laughs> thing is that uh, the moment for Chat to get involved is not like when the idea is fully formed. This is a huge part of my philosophy on this stuff. Is ChatGPT is a muse, not an oracle, so it's not. Um, like we will craft the perfect app pitch and then bring it to chat GPT. And then in one shot, it will generate the perfect app and then we're done. It's like, it's like a designer, you know, the, uh, or, you know, or an engineer, the earlier you bring them in, the more they can contribute to the ideas and the more context they build up. And so, um, we should do that. Second, second brief thought is, um, this is actually getting to one of the hardest parts of this process that I think is not is least well served by ChatGPT currently, which is you asked me, could we like do this? How hard would it be? And um, you know, I'm I'm a programmer, and so I have a lot of context in my in my head for helping to assess very quickly, like on a scale of one to ten, how feasible is what you're you're thinking of. And um, I think one of the biggest challenges that chat isn't as good at yet is helping people who aren't programmers figure out like, how hard is this going to be? Is it even like possible? Um, and so when, when I build these apps for myself, um, currently there's a lot of that, that background knowledge I have feeding into the process and helping it along. And so one thing I'm excited to explore in the future is can we make these tools better at, um, you know, basically telling you actually, Dan, that's, that's, that's not a good idea. Like I get it. It would be cool, but it's, it's just going to be too much work. How about let's try this other thing instead. That's what senior engineers do. Right. So, um, that's the process going on right now in my head that, uh, I think you're, you're totally right. And it's something that I see in my course as well as like, people just go into these, like they, people get grand visions. They have these big ideas, right. And that's what motivates people to build stuff. And I'm constantly sort of like, being like, okay, your practice is to figure out what is the core smallest thing you can do and just do that and, and use that as a stepping stone to like build the more complicated thing later. But like the big failure mode for people is they like try to do something way too big at the beginning. And then, they, and then they're like, well, this isn't going to work or whatever. And they just get lost in this rabbit hole and finding, finding that little small thing that's useful to start, even if it's not your big vision is like the best way to build stuff. And, you know, 
it's this is classic lean startup sort of iterative agile thinking. And the really cool thing is chat can lower those iteration cycles so much. So um, I was prototyping a game at a hackathon earlier this year, and I was just trying to have fun at this hackathon. I wasn't trying to like work hard, right? And I wanted to prototype different ways the game could feel. And so I would just say to chat, you know, what if it, what if the car moved this way? And then I'll go off and talk to people, come back five minutes later, I have a new game. I play it and I'm like, oh, you know, that, that sucks. Let's do this other way. And so I think um, it's doubly important when using chat GPT to realize like the superpower you have now is that iterations are fast. It's not that chat always has the right answer. It's that getting a new alternative is much faster. And so your, your goal as a, person driving it is to take advantage of that, iterate really quickly and try a bunch of stuff really fast, and then respond to it yourself and sort of see where it goes. So I think we should try that. Like one thing we could try is just starting with a very minimally scoped app that has like a clock on it or something. And then we'll see that working and sort of like, we'll have more ideas, you know, riffing on that and sort of, we'll just go from there or something. Let's do it. I love it. Okay. Let's do it. So here we are, we're in ChatGBT. Uh, and we're gonna get started uh, coding this this little app. And I and I want to point out, I got super excited about this like whole real time transcription thing. Um, and I think you're kind of like that's probably a little too big to do uh, live in. I don't know. We have like thirty or forty minutes. So I think that's just that's just such a really important thing to note is that this happens all the time in programming. It's a normal thing to be like, I've got this like amazing thing. And then to be like, no, 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 we got to like, we got to pair it back to like something that's useful that we can do in the time we have. And then we can add more later. Yes. Um, And so I think we should start with a super small thing and uh, expand out from there. And that's something that, by the way, you know, um, what I'm always thinking about with my system prompts for chat and tools around this stuff long term is people don't just need help programming. They need help with product management and scoping and coming up with the right ideas to solve the problem and design. And ChatGPT can help with all that stuff too. And that's really important to remember. So so lead us off. So like, how are we going to get started? What are we trying to build? Or, or maybe like, maybe the first step is trying to figure out what we're building with ChatGPT. Tell, tell us how to get started. Okay, so we're just going to use this custom GPT. I actually just threw this together um, and put in a system prompt that I I like. Maybe I'll show that before we get started using it so you get a bit of behind the scenes. So um, here's, here's what this uh, bot basically does. Um, it's a helpful AI coding assistant. Make sure to follow the user's instructions precisely because coding is a domain where sort of details matter. Um, and I give it essentially a very specific opinionated stack for the code it's going to output. Um, React TypeScript, Tailwind. This is um, a very popular set of technologies. It's one that I have a pre-existing template for in Replit, which is this online coding platform. And I tell it, uh, generate all the code in a single file. So basically, it's going to give us some code. And as we'll see, we'll just be able to copy paste it into Replit and see what it does. Um, so this is really important to constrain what it's doing. In a, in a particular technical way to get um, output that we can work with easily. Um, I'll note, by the way, copy-pasting code from ChatGPT to other IDEs is not the best workflow in the world. It's obviously not how these tools should work in the future. Right. It's just a duct tape together way that you can do it right now that I like to use for quick experimentation. Yeah, um, now, let's talk about a bit about the workflow. So I think this might be the most important part of the prompt. Um, is so you get an initial idea from the user. Question two is 
um, or part two is absolutely critical. Ask the user for clarification on parts of their idea that are underspecified. So people, so we'll, we'll see this play out in a second. Um, we're going to ask it to make an app and our, our idea is going to be vague. And what we don't want is for chat to just run ahead and make up a bunch of stuff and like, you know, make guess what we mean. We want to be in a conversation where it's going to ask us for help and clarification and we're going to clarify what we mean together. Um, then once ambiguities are resolved, we're going to proceed. Um, we'll make a plan for how the code's going to work first. That helps it generate correct code and then it's going to write the code. Okay. So mm, that's the basis. That's really good. How, how, so I'm curious, like how well in your experience is this, how, how good is this at following this workflow once you have it in your, in your custom instructions for this GPT? Um, I've done a bunch of iterations on this prompt over time. Um, my experience has been that asking clarifying questions, it's really good at that. I'm always amazed at how helpful as clarifying questions are. The hardest task that it's not so good at is, um, knowing when to ask you to clarify something or whether to just fill it in itself. Um, I try to resolve that by saying, if there's some minor ambiguities, just make assumptions about what the user means and tell the user what you're, what, how you're filling them in. Um, but sometimes it'll just barge ahead too quickly. And other times it'll be too uh, conservative and asking for too much input from me. It's like, you know, if you're an employee and you have a, a manager and you're trying to figure out, you know, what are the things I need to ask them about versus I, I can just go do myself. It's that dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, I'm, I'm super curious to see how this goes. All right, let's see how it goes. So, um, I'm going to kick us off with my goal, which is, um, I'm going to say I'm appearing as a guest on a podcast. Um, I want an app that I can have open while I'm on the show to help me, um, keep track of time and remember what I want to say. Okay. So great. We're getting clarifications live and, um, I'm starting to read them and think through, um, my answers, right? So time tracking, um, I'll just, maybe I'll just keep going and answer these questions. Okay, great. So we got answers. Um, let's go through one by one and, um, I'm going to think through my answers to these questions. So first, um, time tracking, um, it's saying, do I need a simple stopwatch or a countdown timer? So I'm just going to say, um, I want a progress bar, um, or I'll say like digital clock plus progress bar, um, going from 9am to 10:30am. Um, now one really neat thing is we don't need to, the app to have a place to set the time start and end because it's an app literally just for this one appearance on this show. And I'm with you today, this morning from nine to 10 30 AM. So that's going to be right. hard coded into the app, right? right? Um, that's what part of ephemeral software, we don't need extra, extra stuff. Um, preload notes or add and edit notes during the, the podcast, I guess like, um, preloading is fine. And by the way, I'm using, well, um, we have a notion link with notes. It'd be cool if it could display that. Oh yeah. Um, should it be able to show, show the notion link or do you copy paste in markdown from the notion? What do you think? Um, I mean, ideally it shows the notion, it shows the notion link in an iframe or something like that, but, oh um, yeah. but yeah. Okay. So, um, it's funny. You just used you just used the word iframe. So that revealed that you, uh, you know, are thinking on the technical side of this too. Right. And I think, um, we might want to linger there for a second. And this is another instance of what I said earlier, where having background knowledge about programming is a huge accelerant to this process right now. And the reality is, um, 
this workflow we're doing, um, in my experience, doesn't work that well for people who have zero programming experience yet. I want to build tools that help get us there in the future, but um, it's it's interesting. So let's say um, uh, we have our notes in Notion. Um, maybe we could show those, um, embed those somehow, um, or copy-paste them in. I'll let chat sort of make a call on how to sort of proceed with that. Yeah, I like that. Um, styling or layout preferences. Um, I like giving it a vibe here. One vibe I had in my mind is I kind of like the keynote presenter mode. Um, so I could just say like simple dark keynote presenter mode. Um, vibe. Vibe. <laughs> simple yeah. dark keynote presenter mode vibe. I like because I feel it. like when you give it vibe, it like kind of knows to be fuzzy about it rather than like yeah. very direct. Yeah, for sure. Um, by the way, quick meta note, I'm using the numbers here, which is just a great shortcut for like responding directly to each of his things without too much typing. Uh, Um, and, and by that um, you mean like it gave you four questions and you're using numbers to exactly. I'm just using the numbers one, two, three, four to refer to each of them. I don't need to say like for the time tracking thing, I want, you know, I just reduce extra words, right? That's actually great. Um, I didn't know that. Number four, any other features? Um, I think that those we could have cool ideas in the future, but I'm just going to say not yet. Um, start simple. Um, all right, so let's go. See what we get. So it's going to do the, yeah, go for it. It's going to do the plan first. Um, the plan, this is really important. Um, if you have it generate code without a plan, it tends to get stuck in weird, like, uh, corners and that it can't Uh, get out of. And, uh um, having it generate a plan first, just like, you know, a real human engineer doing any coding work, having a plan first really starts. Mm. Um, so it's, let's and see, it's done. One thing that's interesting is, um, for the notes section, it's suggesting a, a text area where notes can be copy pasted rather than doing the embedded notion iframe thing. So that's an interesting decision it made. Absolutely is. Um, I don't, you know, we don't know why it made that decision. Presumably right. it's because it's easier. Um, yeah, we can push it towards the embed later. It is nice yeah. that, um, I like having this early sort of planning section because it's a quick way to see what it's about to do. So we don't need to like right. try to read the code. We can just, you know, it's, it's writing a spec document as a product yeah. manager that yeah. um, we get to look at. Uh, and this all looks pretty good to me. Current time, progress yeah. bar, copy paste text area, a read only mode to avoid accidental edits during the podcast is kind of a fun idea. We'll see if it incorporates that. that. Um, now let's see. The second thing it did is a pseudocode plan. Um, as a programmer, this is really helpful for me because I can actually look at this and see, um, you know, if there's anything that looks like it's going to need to be fixed in there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. while it's writing the code, we can review that. Um, and and it's not just useful for, um, for, for you. I think it's also useful for ChatGPT to write, write out the product spec, write out the pseudocode and then actually write the code. And, and in the same way that it's useful for a programmer to write pseudocode, I think it's, it's useful for ChatGPT. So it doesn't, it doesn't go off the rails. It, it can plan what it's going to be doing and all that kind of stuff. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, my general philosophy about this is, um, just, yeah, just like humans need to plan the right amount for the magnitude of the task. Like as a skilled programmer, I can go do a super quick, bug fix or tiny feature without writing a whole doc explaining what I'm going to do. But if I'm mm-hmm. going to spend six months on a huge project, I better have a plan when I start. And so yeah. I think similarly about like, um, 
I try to calibrate my sense of how good is ChatGPT at this task. And the worse it is, the more planning is going to be needed up front and the more coaxing to make sure yeah. we sort of gently approach the goal. Um, yeah. And so coding for me, um, this is sort of the right level of planning, I think, for this um you know, this is not a huge app. It's a tiny, tiny little thing. So I think we haven't needed that much iteration. Yeah. Okay. So we got this code. I'm not going to read it. Uh, I never read this stuff. I just copy paste <laughs> and go. Why don't you read it? Tell me why. It's a waste and, of time. Why would I? Okay. Why would I spend time reading this? Um, yes, I can read this, but it's dumb. I'm, I would rather just see what it did and use okay. the thing. You know, that makes sense. Um, maybe I'll and, read and it later. Okay, and you're flipping to Replit. So explain to us what this is, what Replit is, and like how you got. What are, what are all these files? Like, give us a give us a background. Yep. So Replit is an online um, coding environment where you can uh, set up a quick environment to run any kind of code, and then you can edit it in your browser and have it running. Um, and I can also share this link now with other people who can collaborate with me in this um, coding environment and use the sort of resulting application. The reason yeah. I use it is because it's um, it's just one quick way to get running without a bunch of fuss and ceremony. Um, and I, yeah. before this uh, interview, I set up um, just a little template that has sort of the tech stack that I told ChatGPT to use. It's it's pre-installed here and ready to go. Yeah. I can share that as like a template with you, you know, as a link or something. But that's that's mm -hmm. all I have going on here. Um, that, that's really interesting. And, and I just want people, anyone who's non-technical who's watching this to realize like this might look complicated, but A, Replit is like, it's very templatized. It's very easy to just click a button and get something that looks like this and, and know where to paste your file. And B, like, you can actually, like everything that we've done so far is pretty natural language. You can actually get this far even with very little programming knowledge. And um, and so if it feels intimidating, it's it's really not not that hard. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about this. So with that, let's paste in our code and see what happens. Yeah, I'm just pasting it. from ChatGPT. This uh, should update live this little window here. Oh my okay. god. Look at that. Uh... Look at that. So um it has the time. It's correct. The time oh is the god. current time. It's going from nine to ten thirty. Uh I'm just eyeballing it. That looks right, right? It's nine fifty. That the yeah, halfway mark is forty five minutes. Right. Okay. Awesome. Uh it did the simple dark theme pretty well, I would say. Um and then let's see, can we type in this box? Okay, uh, it has a box for notes. Uh, uh, pretty good, pretty good first draft. I would this say. Is what do you think? This is magic. Like this is crazy. You know, I like. I ha we have to like stop for a second and and just just appreciate how wild it is that we live in a time like this where, like, the amount of time and knowledge and effort that it would have taken just a year ago to do the same thing is sort of like mind blowing. It's like stunning how different this is. Um, like after it, like obviously the code that the eventual code that has been written by ChatGPT is like not that hard to write for like a senior programmer or whatever, but like still, you know, it might take an hour or two or, or whatever, even for, even for someone who knows what they're doing. And this did not take an hour. It took five minutes and, and it did it also didn't require a senior programmer to do like, Literally, you didn't write any code. Literally, you didn't even look at the code. You literally just typed, here's kind of what I want. It asked some clarifying questions. And now you have an app that the thing I love about this is it's styled and it has this like cool progress bar that updates live. Like that's crazy.
Yeah, it's so exciting. So I want to analyze this from, on the one hand, I couldn't agree more with you. It is so cool and exciting. Even for me as a programmer, like you said, I wouldn't have spent the time to make this thing. And the fact that it's 10 or 100x faster for me to make increases the number of things I'm willing to make. So it's really yeah, exciting. And, you know, definitely. Um, so that's awesome. I will note, like, again, um, we're going to push it further and see where where the limits are now. But, like, um, we operated within a simple um, starting point. And, um, you know, as we push this thing further, we're going to hit more challenges. So we, we haven't solved all the issues yet. But this is, I agree, it's an it's a very exciting starting point. One, one little thing I'll point out um, that's interesting about this app right now is an example of some of the drawbacks. So um, this stack that I tell... ChatGPT to use as my simplest sort of micro app stack, it doesn't save your data at all. So actually, if I reload this, um, and let me, I can open this in a new tab. So um, here's here's the app full screened, I guess. Um, and I can have notes here. Um, but if I ever reload, they're lost. So that's, um, I know that limitation as the person who put together this tech stack. And one of the reasons I chose that stack is intentionally because saving data often makes apps way more complicated. Um, now, I have um, other stacks I can play with that I haven't set up for this that can save the data. Um, but when I'm thinking of ideas in my head, I'm thinking a lot about like, how can I um, scope this thing so I don't need to have that technical complexity? And that's a, that's a skill that you know engineers and PMs, you, you drill a lot, but normal people haven't thought about as much. So um, you know, I think it points to both, of course, you know, um, in the, in, you know, in another version of this, um, we should have a GPT that can make apps that can store data. That's a no brainer, but there's a, there's a broader point, which is like this negotiation of complexity of implementation and requirements is a delicate dance that, um, we're going to have to work towards better tools that help people do that. Right. I, th I think you're right. I also will note, so one is, so definitely like saving state and doing logins and authentication, for example, are, are some of those things where you're like, yeah, that's, that's a little bit more complicated. Two, I think that those things are getting easier and easier over time. And, you know, I can imagine because this is a single use app, you don't even need a database. Like you can just save something to a, to like a notes file or like save it in local storage or whatever. So I think that that makes it easier. But there are also services like Supabase or all these other things that it just makes it super, super easy to interact with the database. And what I don't want people to come away with is the idea that like, I think you're right. There are all these like hidden corners that you can see or maybe I can see that. Um, we know, okay, like saving state is going to be like hard. So we're going to scope away from that for now. And that definitely saves us time. But even if you're someone who's using ChatGPT who doesn't know that, um, you're going to find that out because you're going to be like, hey, can we save state? And then you're going to get stuck for like four hours. And that's actually the only way to learn. So it's actually not bad that you don't know that. It's just that like, I think what you're actually saying is not that like, normal people who don't have a lot of programming experience can't use ChatGPT for this. Like they can, it's just, it will take them longer and they will run into like problems. It's not like ChatGPT is going to solve every problem for you right now. There are still things that like, you know, experienced developers are going to know and be able to push the, push the chat to do and not do that is going to save them even more time than first for a normal person. But it's still quite useful for someone who's, uh, who has very little to no programming experience. It just, yeah, it sometimes is not going to solve every problem for you, just some of the problems. 
Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I'm not trying to discourage anyone from you know using this workflow if you don't know how to program. It's just be curious, ask ask for how hard it would be to do various things, you know, and see try to get those answers. One quick plug I'll give is um the research I'm doing it. So I work at an independent research lab called Ink and Switch, which um, has pioneered a, a, a software architecture called Local First, um, which has a bunch of interesting benefits for users like data privacy and ownership, um, uh, but actually. One of the most interesting benefits for this use case is that we're trying to make it really, really simple to make an app that stores your data, can sync it with other people where you can share data, um, have it all saved privately. And that shouldn't require setting up some server that you have to run and like thinking about like operations. It should literally be like one line of code and you're off and running, you're storing data, you're syncing it. And so um, we're doing a lot of work right now on trying to create an environment based on that local first architecture using a library and switch developed called AutoMerge, where when you make an AI-generated app, you should be able to plop it into that environment. Instantly, you get authentication, data sync, data storage, all out of the box for free, um, no servers in the mix. And I'm really excited about that as one specific future thing to, to um, make it easier to build really full-functioning um, tools that you know um, go beyond just a little stateless thing, right? Um, so That's really great. One specific example here is that I'm not going to do this today, but in the future... If I have my notes in Notion, um, you know, maybe we'll try embedding this thing, but the app should be able to maybe load my Notion notes directly into this view in a different way um, and access those existing notes I have without me needing to like copy paste them, right? That's a that's the thing I want for the future. Um, but maybe we, do you want to keep going with this demo and see if we can get ChatGPT to save our notes in this? In Let's this, do it. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. App? Okay, so. Um, Let's give it a little bit of encouragement. This is a great start. Um, <laughs> Always got to encourage the AI in case it takes over. <laughs> Let's be nice and uh, yeah, uh, gain brownie points. Um, but actually, also, I find that I want to tell it that it's on the right track so it doesn't like freak out and totally right. redo everything. Right. Right. Um, um, is there some way we can save the notes that we've? Uh, entered in the browser so they don't get lost when we reload. And I, I want to point out, like, that's a question that anyone can ask. I'm sure you have some thoughts about the way that it should do this, but um, we'll see how good ChatGPT is at finding the answer that you would have gone with. Exactly. Um, and it said, it said certainly, it uh, said an answer. It's going to say, we're going to save them in local storage. Um, as right. an engineer, I know that that's a perfectly fine way to think about it. Right. And then it's just going to output all the new code. So um, generally, for little tools like this, I just tell it, um, the system prompt, I think, says to just output the entire new code. Yeah. And that's really like the the simplest thing you can do. And it's nice because mm -hmm. what I'm going to do is just copy this and paste it into Replit again once it's done. And we'll see what it changed. Sometimes for larger things, I like to tell it a different prompt, which is to generate minimal edits and um, only tell me the parts that change just because it's faster. Um, but that is a little bit more annoying because then you actually have to like start thinking about where you're copy pasting. Um, and that can be a bit annoying. Okay, so uh, I pasted in the new code. There's no visual difference. I'm going to reload to make sure we got the new version. These are my notes. Okay, uh, let's reload. It worked. Ah. Amazing. Uh, there it is. <laughs> and if I come over here and reload. Oh, my God. Um, hello. Reload. 
Okay, the notes are saved. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, and, and one thing that we should be clear on, like that website is live. Like you can send me that URL and it's live. It will not save the notes. I'll have my own version of the notes. So we each have our own notes um, rather than there being one common note, that, which is a, 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 an important detail to point out. You know, it's funny too. You just, again, used your programming knowledge to, to say that. Um, you know, we could have also asked chat, like, um, does everyone using the app share one notes saved or does everyone have their own um okay so every user has their separate and unique set of notes great okay so i just there there's something really interesting going on here for me like this is such a a different way of thinking how to build programs not because it's just ai built but like for example having everything be in one file um, or saving things locally, um, is just, it's a, it's a different paradigm from the current way that we build SaaS apps where it's like microservices or like breaking up into modular components, um, and like having, having databases and authentication or whatever. And it's like, it's this fundamentally new thing that is only possible because you're, you want to build bespoke apps for like small use cases that are used by single people. Um, and that's like that's actually just like a new world that is like start, starting to blossom a little bit that we don't we don't know where it's going to go. Um, but I, I just want to underscore for people how much. OK, so there's this new workflow, which is like makes people incredibly more productive. It gives people who can't code the ability to build stuff. So it's it's taking people from zero to like 10. Right. And then it also takes people who can build stuff and it makes them. I don't know, 30% faster or whatever. But I think what's really important that you mentioned earlier is it's not just about like a speed upgrade. It, it, it makes it possible for you to build things that you just wouldn't have put the time into before. Like you just wouldn't have made this before at all. Um, and so maybe you make 10 or 20 more things in the world per year because of this that you wouldn't, you wouldn't have made previously. So big performance workflow difference. But then also it's like, it's a different kind of software. It's just a different, it's a new thing. It's there's, there's something coming now that's different from SAS that is enabled by exactly this stuff. And we're just starting to see what it's like. And this is like, this is like the, 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 the earliest inklings of that. And it's so cool to see it. Exactly. One thing I love, you know, if you look at this app, it's so simple. It has nothing I don't need because we're building it up from zero. And I've been finding in these, building these little tools for myself. Um, one question you might ask is like, wouldn't it be better to go find some existing app because someone else who's better or who's either, you know, more skilled than you at coding or design or has just spent a lot more time thinking about it. Maybe there is a podcast guest like app out there or something. I haven't looked, but in my experience, um, a lot of the time, it's actually faster now for me to just make the thing that has the tiny features that I need than to go like try to Google w- which one is the best and learn how to use it. And I love the the pared down kind of like nothing is there unless I specifically added it quality yeah. of these micro yeah. micro tools. Yeah, that's really cool. Do, you know what this reminds me of? Have you been looking at what um, what Jason Fried and DHH are doing at 37 Signals? Um, they have this uh, this new... I guess software company underneath 37 signals that's called once. And, um, basically it's like, it's, uh, it's on-premise software for con- consumers. It's like they're making in, they're making some, some sort of app for like prosumer business people where when you buy it, instead of paying a SaaS fee, you pay once 
and then you get all the code. The code is not minified or bundled or whatever. It's just like this. It's mostly in one or a few files and you can read it and it's owned by you, modify, modifiable by you. Um, and I think they're, they're sort of like, you're, I think you're pushing this forward from like a research direction, like what's possible to enable this stuff. And they're like already sort of like thinking about, okay, how do you commercialize this kind, this new kind of software? How do people pay for it? And all that kind of stuff. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I love that sort of direction. And, and in, in my research at Incan Switch, we're pushing towards, again, this new kind of software distribution platform where you own your tools and you have the capability to modify them. That's another quick point I want to make that's really important to me is that starting from zero and starting from scratch isn't always the ideal workflow. Often what I actually would prefer is to start with an app that someone else made that's almost right, but I just need to make a small tweak. That's something that's much harder in today's software world because often, like I said earlier, it's, you're not allowed to make that tweak. You can't do it because of infrastructural reasons. And so what I'm showing here is kind of like the the easy path that works in the current world, which is just to start over from scratch. But I think actually in the future, there'll be less starting over from scratch and more sort of modding and remixing. And that's going to be possible once... Imagine I send you this replit link. You can look at, you can actually take that code. Um, you know, one thing I do sometimes in chat is like, um, you could make your own ChatGPT session with this bot and say, hey, I'm starting from this app and paste in the code um, and say, what I want to do is add this other feature and it will just keep pick up that process where I left off and it's in your hands now. And someone Should else might do, that? do it. Yeah, do you want to try it? Um, Let's like, do it. Okay, so do you want to simulate it where I I make a new chat basically, or do you actually? No, want no, to do no. It? I wanted I want to do it. Okay, okay, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Um, um, I love that. So send me the okay. REPL, um, and yeah. then and then I need a link to your your custom GPT so I have I have the same the same stuff. Yes. So, oh, this is going to be fun. So we got the yeah. REPL. Um, cool. So you should be able to see my screen now, right? Yep. Okay, cool. So, okay, so you took that REPL that you just made, and <clears throat> and the REPL is this is basically just all the code we wrote, we wrote with ChatGPT, and you sent it to me. And what's really cool is with Replit, like I can either press run, and it'll just run it for me, and that's really great. Like this is a live thing that's just running on the web right now. Or I can just press fork, and uh, I can make um, podcast guest Dan's version. Um, way better than the old version um and then i can press fork and um now i have all of the code um that you wrote with ChatGPT, and it's somewhere Looking where, which, uh, source uh, it's in source okay <clears throat> app.tsx so it's right here and and that would that might be a thing that it would take it take you a little while to figure out but again you could just like throw all of this all this folder structure into ChatGPT, and it would be like this is probably where the code is um, and so now we've got to figure out what we want to do. Like we have, um, we have this sort of initial thing that has a timer and, um, uh, and has, has a note section. Uh, okay. Let, let's, let's like brainstorm a little bit. One thing we could do is, um, we could have a little window that takes the notes and then, Ask GPT four to come up with um, sample questions. Ooh, yeah, that's ambitious. I, I'm into it. <laughs> I mean, I think that's pretty doable, right? Because, like, uh, I mean, really, all we're going to have to do is like take take the notes, 
uh, well, we should maybe we should ask ChatGPT, but like take the notes, send them up to GPT four with a little prompt, and then just display the the answer somewhere. Um, we might need yeah, I'm into it. I think we should try okay. it. Yeah, um, okay. I think the applying again my engineering knowledge. The challenge is going to be um, making sure we finesse the API call to OpenAI correctly. Um, is something that I sometimes find is um, working with APIs can be a bit challenging because APIs change. It might not know about the latest format. Something that's going to come to mind is it's going to um, be really helpful if we give it like a successful example of an app that um, actually did a good job calling the OpenAI API. Um, so we could try that pattern of I could send you a link to another REPL where I've already done a good OpenAI call and we could tell it like use use this app as sort of like a sample. Well, what I want to do, I mean, the way that I usually I usually get around this and I, th- I think you're I think you're you're thinking about exactly the right stuff is. Um, uh, is just paste the GPT four API docs in there so it knows it sure. knows how yeah, to yeah. make a call. Let's try um, doing it that way. It should I should have web browsing, but let's just try it. So I'm going to say something like, and you you tell me if I'm doing something wrong, but uh, I'm going to say something like, I have a web app um, that I use to track uh, uh, my podcast recordings as I'm doing them, um, and I want to add a feature. Um, here's the code I have so far. So I think just giving GBT like the context um, is probably pretty important. Um, yep, absolutely. So I'm just, I'm just going to throw it in there um, and see what it says. Yeah, so, okay. I want to add a button. Uh, so it's basically saying, great, I see you have a basic web app for tracking podcast recordings. Could you please specify what feature do you would like to add, um, add to your app? I want to add a button um, that says um, generate questions where um, given um, where it takes my, the podcast notes and then sends them to GPT-4 and, um, uh, retur- and uh, displays uh, the list of questions that GPT-4 uh, returns. And then the little note here is... Um, when you're working with APIs, as you said before, and an API is like, it's the it's the it's the GPT four service, right? The GPT four service um, has a way that you interact with it, um, and that changes over time as they make updates. And um, ChatGPT is like not always aware of all those changes. So the best way to work through that is to just go to OpenAI.com or wh- wherever the API is, and look at the documentation for the API, and just give it to. Um, uh, just give it to the uh, uh, to ChatGPT so it knows. Okay, here's like actually how we um, um, how we uh, call the API. So let's see. I think this is going to be good. Um, so I just found an example of like how um, how the GPT four API is, struct- is structured. And I'm just going to paste One it. One quick note is you just copied yeah. some Python code, Dan, and we're in JavaScript. Yeah. So that's a mistake. Oh, I'm that, just um, used to, <laughs> I'm used to yeah, working like, in Python. <laughs> um, you know, this is a thing that like, uh, again, you, if there's some programming knowledge to even know which of these things to copy, right. right. But I think a node one is going to yeah. go better. Yeah. That's going to go better. Okay. So thank Good, good note. Good note. Uh, I'm just going to paste it in there and, um, see what it says, see what it does.
So basically it's saying, okay, it's reflecting back to me. Here's what I think you want to do. Add a button to the existing UI, create a function that sends the notes to GPT-4 and then display the received questions in your app. And then it's creating a plan. So add a generate questions button, create a function that takes the current notes, sends those notes to the OpenAI API and handles the API response to extract the questions. Um, create a new state variable for storing the questions and update this state with the received questions, then show the questions in your UI. That all sounds like pretty reasonable to me. Um, and I'm going to do, I'm going to do what you, what you recommended so, and just copy um, paste. Yeah. Yeah. Quick warning. Um, it did something interesting, which is that it, uh, elided some code. It said existing code in a few spots. So it actually hasn't given us um, a full mm. new file that we can just copy paste. Mm. I would recommend yeah. just telling it, don't omit existing code, just like write a full file that I can copy. Let's see if that does that better. And we're also going to have to set our API key, which it's reminding us to do. And, and I have an API key I can use. And for people that don't know, the API key is just, um, you have to identify who you are when you make requests to GPT-4 so that OpenAI knows who to charge. <laughs> um, and so you have a key. This is another good example of a tricky thing where like, um, I can see a, a problem in this code already that it's, um, it's going to try to use an API key from uh, assuming that it's running on a server because OpenAI usually their docs assume you're running like a server that's um, querying them. Whereas in this case, we're running an app in a browser and we have to set up the API key a slightly different way. That's like kind of a... Um, that's a subtle thing in some ways that um, can trip you up if you're not aware of that. Right. And again, like it's one of those things where we can try this. We'll see what error we get and yeah. we'll throw it into ChatGPT and see if it can solve it. If not, we'll just exactly. solve it so that so we can skip to the fun part. But you're right. Like there are there are these little micro moments where it's like it's not quite right. And it's helpful to like have some sense of what um, what you're doing um, so that you can. Like you said, you know, it, it's. If you don't know what you're doing, you can just see what happens and, um, you know, yeah, tell it to fix it so that it's, it's often fine. It's just that if you know what you're doing, you can avoid some, uh, rabbit holes and some rabbit holes. Yeah. Make faster All right. Progress. So here we go. We're going to, All right, we're going to copy the code. We're going to copy the code. Don't we're going to hold our breath. Uh, we're not going to read the code <laughs> and we got an error. <laughs> Okay, um, so we don't have the OpenAI thing installed. Right. Um, so I know, you know, okay. I know what to do. Um, I, I, I this is sorry, this is it's, a JavaScript, uh, so I, yeah, so I'd, you don't want that. Uh, Probably npm install, install. OpenAI will do it. <laughs> so this is, I'm just uh, like, I'm, I'm sort of. We probably could have asked chat my, for that one. My to be Python. honest, uh, what did you say? We probably could have asked chat how to fix it as well. We could have asked know, that. Yeah, so. that's true. I'm. I'm getting impatient. I want to get to the magic. Yeah. Um, so okay. here's what we're going to do. Copy, or we're just going to copy this error and paste it in to ChatGPT and see what we get. Typically occurs when environment variables are not accessible in the client-side JavaScript. This is common in projects with Vite, as it doesn't automatically make environment var variables available in the front end. This is a good example of where... Um it's it's telling us some stuff. We could do it this way. Um, I think that it's it's kind of going to be a pain to set it up this way. Um, it will one be. thing I'm thinking about is so you could just hard code an OpenAI key 
right into the code here. Now, yeah. we need to be careful because um, there are security issues here. Like now, if you were to share this REPL link, right. um, it's possible that anyone who uses it would get to use your OpenAI key, which is a big right. problem. You just okay. need to rename the REPLIT secret you set to be um, V to yeah. OpenAI Match that. Okay. key. This is a good example of annoying programmery stuff that uh, shouldn't be necessary to do. But let's try that. All right. Um, Running yeah, again, holding our breath. This is how these things really go. You know, it's, it doesn't always work the first time. That's some part of the process. I think that it wants you to put um, API key around the um, API key, like I see. in the error message. It says, yeah. yeah. Um, again, we probably could have given that to Chad and had it help us yeah. with that. But we're running out of time here. <laughs> yeah. We need to set dangerously allow browser to true. Um, because it doesn't like <laughs> querying it from the browser, but um, that's okay. We're we're making a little app just for you, so it's going to yeah. be fine. Um, All right, I'm going to press run, and we're going to move over into our web view. And here it is. We've got a button. It's called generate okay, questions. That's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> let's see. Let's see if it works. So what I want to do first, we have a bunch of notes for our our interview. So I'm going to take this and. I'm just going to throw it in here. We have our timer counting down. We can see it with the progress. I know. Bar. <laughs> Are we going to make it before the end? Okay. So yeah, I pasted a bunch of okay. I pasted a bunch of notes, and I'm going to press generate questions, and we'll see what happens. Okay. Let's see what happens. So my guess, my intuition is that it's not going to work the first try, but we'll see what happens. Um, right. Have the dev tools open so you can see if it breaks it or something. says connected. There's no errors. This is tricky, right? Because we have to guess like um, maybe it's working and it's just taking a while. It's totally possible. Right. It could be that it's going to break. We just need to find oh, out where we the go. even. We've got, we've got oh. questions. Wait. Oh, that's... Okay, wait. <laughs> it made a really weird UI for it. So we have questions. Uh, okay. Here are some prompts to discuss with Jeffrey Litt on your podcast wow. episode. After welcoming Jeffrey to the podcast, ask him to give us a brief introduction about himself and what he does. Dive deep into ChatGPT use cases. We love that. Um, can you highlight some transformations or milestone moments in your professional work due to AI? How do you envision the future of AI in day-to-day -day tasks and professional workspaces? That's a good question. I really like that. One um you know, I, I think we don't have time to go too much further on the app right now, but one thing that gets me so I'm one thing I love about this process is I'm responding to what it did, right? So obviously this UI is really janky, like it needs some yeah. space between the two boxes and we can tell it to yeah. do that. But also I'm thinking like um, you know, maybe it would be nice to see each of these questions in its own little box or something. Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. and maybe you could like check them off as you go. And that's that's right. another idea I just had by looking at this. Um right. and I think that starts to point towards like some of the advantages of doing it. So you could have just done this in ChatGPT itself and not made an app. And I think for what we have so far, it would have been pretty similar because it's just giving you text. But the further mm -hmm. we push into like custom UI for kind of, maybe you want to reorder the questions and you know you could have it build a UI for dragging and dropping the yeah. questions into a different order. All that stuff is what comes to mind now. And that's stuff that like, because we're in this custom UI, all of that is possible. And those uh, like possibilities occur to me in a way that wouldn't if I was just in the chat box, right? So... I think you're totally right. I, I also think that um, there's a world like, you know, ChatGPT already has Code Interpreter where it can write and run code for you. And I really think there's a world where instead of pacing into Replit, like especially for these mini one-off apps, you're just using UI that is con constructed on the fly in ChatGPT. 
um, and then modifying it. And then that becomes a custom GPT you can use for a while. Um, and you can already see this like in the Google Gemini demo um, yep. for, um, for, their, for their newest language model. It does, it does that inside of Bard. Um, and I, I really think that's, the, that's where we're going for a lot of this stuff. I totally agree. And in fact, I think often people aren't going to even need to ask, make me a UI that does X. Yeah. Really, the bot should just decide when I ask for X, it should just pick the best UI for that task, which might be text or it might be a custom whole thing, right? Yeah, totally. Um, so this is, this is pretty awesome. Um, we came up with an idea. We uh, built a first version, then you sent it to me and I made some modifications, which now we can send back to you and you can keep going with it. You have a bunch of ideas for mm -hmm. where to take it. Like this is sort of the future of building stuff. And we did it in like an hour. And I think that's so incredible. I know it's so fun. And we were able to just kind of have fun and talk while we were doing it. Right. We never got yeah. like totally stuck. And I think that's the feeling that I want um, when I'm building stuff. And I think that everybody wants when they're building stuff of yeah. effortless flow. And I'm really excited that um, I think LLM based tools are sort of on a path to enabling that for way more people and way more situations. Yeah, 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 a hundred percent. So as people are, you know, coming out of this episode, they're inspired, they want to go do stuff, they want to learn more about your research, they want to like think about the future of, of where this is going, like where do they find you and, and what should they read? Yeah, um, I have a personal website, uh, jeffreylip.com, where um, I post uh, various research. Um, I wrote an essay earlier this year called Malleable Software in the Age of LLMs, where I kind of lay out a bit more of sort of the thinking behind this this worldview. And um, those are some places to check out more thoughts. I'll, I'll be publishing uh, more research in the coming year or two on kind of um, how do we take this workflow we just did and actually make it really awesome and integrated better into sort of a whole coherent work environment with less copy pasting and sort of less um, dealing with infrastructure. So look forward to that too. Amazing. Well, I'm, I'm super excited when that comes out. I would love to have you back. This was incredible. I feel just, I I'm like walking on air right now. Like I, there's so much good stuff yeah. happening here. Um, and I really appreciate you taking the time to, to walk us through this. Thanks so much. This was really fun. 